Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. I'm an instructional designer by title, and so that means what I do is I help subject matter experts build curriculum to train experts in their field. Something along the lines of eliminating the amount of red tape that exists, you know, for patients between providers, patients, and insurance, I think is a big problem that exists in healthcare. This is like in the early stages, and I'm sure that will happen again this fall, there will be changes again based on what experts find. Today's episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc., where digital healthcare is their niche. Whether you're looking to implement remote patient monitoring in-house, start a chronic or principal care management program, or even leverage telehealth to optimize the delivery of care and outcomes for your patients and team, Chirpy Bird Inc. can help. They offer results-based solutions for practices and health systems to support docs and patients during this uncertain time. You can find them and all of their services online at chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where we're dedicated to amplifying the career journey, accomplishments, and lessons learned of women everywhere. I'm your host, Joy Rios. And I'm your other host, Robin Roberts. During the day, together we run a health IT consultancy known as Chirpy Bird Inc., where we get to geek out on all things healthcare, technology, and policy. But along the way, Joy noticed that so many women were running organizations, but too few were leading or being recognized. So we decided to change that. Together, we're learning about the puzzle that is healthcare and sharing what we find with you, our listeners. You can expect us to be talking with some pretty badass women. We will even be exploring how the pandemic is impacting many of their professional lives this season. We've also formed a private community of both guests and listeners over on Slack to help make connections, offer support to one another, and share the resources we come across. If you want to join us, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. As I mentioned, we are officially between seasons for the podcast. So if you want to stay connected with us, we continue to build community over on Slack, the social media channels, and now even on Clubhouse. In the coming months, we will be taking the show on the road. Sharice Maynard and I will be driving from California all the way to Rhode Island and back, finishing our trip up in Las Vegas. 
We'll be working remotely, coordinating some amazing hikes across the country where we hope you can join us. We'll be talking with more women in a COVID safe way, of course, and all to end up, we hope, at HIMSS 2021 for one of the first in-person events since this pandemic started. We'll be posting all about our journey on the website and other places online, so we invite you to follow along and hope we get to high five or do a happy dance in real life someday soon. All right, enough already. There are too many awesome women to talk with. Let's get started. We have officially reached the final episode for our season five guests, and we're closing out strong with Anne Arnold. She's the director of education programs at the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and she recently successfully defended her dissertation examining how multidisciplinary medical teams effectively maintain shared mental models to manage acute obstetrical events, earning her a doctorate of education from the University of Pennsylvania. I originally met Anne on a day trip down to Ensenada, Mexico, back before the pandemic started in early 2020. She and I have some friends in common, but we also found we have some shared experiences and outlooks with regards to learning and living abroad. She's brilliant, kind, and a fierce advocate for clinical education and patient safety. And we really enjoyed our conversation with her and think you will too. And thank you so much for joining us today. We liken healthcare to what we used to say a thousand piece puzzle these days. It's like a 5,000 piece puzzle. And so maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your piece of the healthcare or health IT puzzle. Sure. I will start just by giving a very, you know, a broad view, I guess, of how I got into healthcare. And I started as a teacher back in I think it was 2000 that I finished school. I was previously a high school, middle middle school teacher. I was also teaching in international schools abroad. I taught in Sweden, Latvia. I also was training teachers in India, and I did some work in Indonesia as well. And you know, through that process, what I ultimately ended up doing is training adults. So I I got into adult education while I was in Sweden. And then I moved to India where I was training teachers, ultimately moved here to Washington, D.C. I was training, doing like different training with like in in military space, working in aviation and other industries. And then I got a phone call one day to work for the American College of OBGYN, which is where I am today. So I just fell into this totally, you know, I'm an instructional designer by title. And so that means what I do is I help subject matter experts build curriculum to train experts in their field. So you can be an expert surgeon, but that doesn't mean you know how to train it well. And you may not even know how to use data, you know, to train the residents and the other surgeons around you. So that's where I come in. I sit down at the table with them. I help them design things like objectives. We look at skills and that's what I do today. So just to give you a you know, quick background, how I ended up where I am. And we have a similar dynamic. I feel like Joy and I both know the same amount of stuff, but she's great at training it. And I'm horrible at translating things sometimes, but she mm-hmm. can definitely do that. So what is it you're doing today with, it's ACOG, right? Or what is it you do in particular with obstetrics and gynecology? Can you give us some examples of projects? Sure. Yeah. So I'm probably currently working on about a dozen different projects. Some are specific to surgery and the training of surgical skills. 
So that's like psychomotor skills, how to move your wrists and hands, how to train residents to effectively perform laparoscopic surgery. In the realm of gynecology, we also train things like vaginal hysterectomy, which is kind of a lost art. I'm happy to talk about any of these things later, but just a broad overview. Those are a couple of examples of surgical courses that we offer to our members. And then on the OB side, we offer courses specific to patient safety and also emergency obstetrics. So for example, how to deliver a shoulder dystocia and how to communicate effectively with the team and create what's called situation monitoring or situational awareness, which is kind of like you know, me being aware, you know, when I check in this patient, she may be obese and, you know, that's a red flag right there. There's a, there's a strong chance that she could have a shoulder dystocia baby. So like for a nurse to be aware of that and be trained, those are the types of things, you know, and also to let the team know that those are all, those are just some of the things we train. One other kind of generalist course that we train is called, it's a longer title, but it's genetics and genomics. And it's basically training OBGYNs how to counsel their patients in genetic, you know, just genetic counseling in general. There's a whole lot there that I don't know about. I feel like Mm -hmm. I could probably spend an afternoon with you or maybe a month or two and try to like download all of the things that you've learned. Is there anything in particular that stands out as something that somebody would need to know or really should know that, or just is, that is like particularly interesting that you've learned along your journey? Training is really important for all doctors. It doesn't matter if you're a resident or if you're a seasoned expert because the guidance put out by ACOG on any given topic changes Every several, you know, it could be like in genetics, it changes often and by, you know, any, by the experts in that field and it can change at any given time. So, you know, a few years ago, we used to teach the doctors, like if they knew there was a breech birth, they were trained to cut, you know, to perform a cesarean delivery immediately. And that is no longer the guidelines because by delivering a cesarean section, it introduces a lot of opportunity for, you know, error, for, infection and other problems. So now we're actually training doctors how to perform like basically rotating the baby the right way so that it can come out without cutting. So there are different, you know, people do need to be trained. And that's something that we're always working with administrators and on the Hill to reinforce those ideals. You talk about working with people on the Hill to reinforce those ideals. Where does that policy intersect with your type of work? Because it seems like it would be very clinical or just really carried out in the halls of medicine, if you will, in hospitals mm-hmm. and clinics. Why is that so important? You know, it's not that we're going to the Hill and, and specifically talking about that, but what we're doing on the Hill is talking a lot about maternal mortality and morbidity. You know, we're talking about the importance that many of these data are being ignored. We're talking about patient safety. So, you know, it's a more general perspective about protecting patients' rights, enhancing and improving patient outcomes. But, you know, that's the bigger picture. When it comes down to it, it's through training and through awareness that that is actually made to happen. Can you talk to us a little bit about obstetric emergencies or mortality of those giving birth and what's that like? Because here in our country, that's really, I think, in the here and now you know, in the society we live in and how tech enabled it is and how advanced it can be is really quite profound. 
Yeah, the fact of the matter is it's quite rare that, you know, we have that maternal mortality is rare, but when it does happen, unfortunately, as you've probably read, women of color, specifically black women, are the most vulnerable. So that's something we are working to change as an organization on different levels, even through training. You know, one example is that we incorporate simulators that have different skin tones so that, you know, it's like we're reinforcing behaviors regardless of the patient's skin tone. We're talking about different vulnerabilities that patients from different backgrounds might have, et cetera. So the fact of the matter is the United States has the highest rate of mortality and morbidity of all developed nations, as as I recall the last time I, or at least that's in our guidance. And that's as of like within the last two years. And it went from being one of the lowest in the 1960s to one of the highest. So that's alarming. And that's something that we are trying to draw more attention to and also understand how we can bring those numbers back down. Do you work with hospitals and medical organizations all across the country? Yes, we actually work internationally, but most of our members are are in the United States. And I also imagine you're doing a lot of schooling and training yourself. So how have you been able to keep up and maintain your level of knowledge so that you can share it with all the members in your organization? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So I, you know, I'm not sure if I, I guess I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm actually about to defend my dissertation on the topic of how obstetrical teams manage, how they communicate and leverage communication specifically to manage emergency or, you know, acute or emergency events such as a shoulder dystocia. You know, I've been reading a lot about this. I did a my dissertation I'm defending it in two weeks and so yes I'm doing that on the side but it's partly it's in tandem with a lot of the training that we produce so I already had quite a lot of background information because of the the training and the reading that I had done in a way these two realms dovetail and you know I'm bringing what I've learned from the dissertation to my office and vice versa but of course Anything I say today is not, you know, I'm not saying it on behalf of my association. No, that's certainly understood. I guess I would say, though, you know, when we think about physicians, you know, or I mean, just human being in general, you know, it's impossible to be an expert at everything. And so healthcare, medicine, you know, is changing every single day, sometimes hourly, depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. And keeping up is, is an overwhelming process. And so having someone that can teach these things or stay abreast of them to support those individuals that are serving others or serving patients is critical. Mm-hmm. Yes, I totally agree. What are you hoping to do once you finish defending your dissertation? Well, what we are doing lately because of the pandemic is that we have been moving a lot of our formerly in-person courses to an online platform. And, you know, that's a big undertaking. So part, you know, quite a lot of the work that I'll be doing in the next six months involves that. I've also been contributing to some academic papers and studies specific to patient safety in the delivery room and also in surgery. And, you know, between those two things, my plate is pretty full. And when you think about healthcare in general, you know, we like to ask our guests if they had one wish about something they could change, you know, what would it be? 
And it sounds like, you know, with your background and experience, I'm sure you must have a good answer to this. Money, time, resources, knows no bounds. What is it you would wave your magic wand and fix? That's a good question. I think something along the lines of eliminating the amount of red tape that exists, you know, for patients between providers, patients, and insurance, I think is a big problem that exists in healthcare. And also, you know, in that same realm of red tape and bureaucracy within the institutions themselves, if we could find a way to eliminate those problems, I think so many of the problems that currently exist could be, we would have, that would be like half of the battle at least right there. Yeah, the red tape and the bureaucracy and the hoops that people need to jump through is a little bit wild in this country. I think that's a pretty solid wish. Mm -hmm. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. If you like the vibe of this podcast, you're going to love our private Slack community. It's super supportive, ladies-only pod, where we offer real talk, real advice, and genuine engagement to our members to help them stay inspired and level up. To join, just go to hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. All right, now let's get back to the show. The other thing that we'd like to ask our guests is what have you learned along your professional journey that you think other women would benefit from knowing? Are there any kind of life lessons or career advice that you would give to others that who perhaps either want to follow in your footsteps or even just general you know, professional advice? Yes, I think I actually just had this conversation with a good friend, classmate and mentor And I think that's what I'll talk about, which is that when you get to a certain stage in your life, and I'm, you know, mid-career profession, um, you know, mid-career director level, I think that we need to, and I guess this applies to all ages, but I'm saying specifically this applies to me right now. We need to seek out strong mentors. And I have been doing that probably for 10 years, but in the past few years, especially since the Me Too movement, I've really sought out strong female mentors and by mentors, not just women in my field who can help me navigate you know, the next steps of my career, but also friends who have been through maybe similar journeys and who can offer advice personally and professionally. I feel like you get to a certain level and there may not be good leaders whether it be at your institution or around you. And sometimes you'd need to look around for these people. And sometimes it comes down to reading a really interesting article in Harvard Business Review and then sending a LinkedIn message to that woman. So that's really what I've been striving to do lately. And I think I've really become a lot stronger because of the women who have taken the time to help me. And I'm also trying to do that now myself with women who are younger than me. And, you know, advising them, helping to guide them, looking at their resumes and offering advice, things like that. That's terrific. And I love the fact that you're aligning yourself with other people that are maybe earlier on in their journey. And what's Mm -hmm. maybe something that one of these mentors that you've had has told you that has just stuck with you? Well, you know, this whole dissertation process has been very challenging for me for a few reasons, but mainly because of the pandemic itself. So a lot of people, when through the process of the dissertation, they say, trust the process. So that's one of the things that many of my mentors have told me over these past five, five, almost five years. But 
I guess, you know, one of my mentors has told me always trust your instincts. And I do believe that sometimes, or at least this job that I currently have, when I walk into a job interview, I just have a very strong feeling that this is a great opportunity. And I get that sense from sitting with the people who would be my leaders in that position. I think that's really good advice is just to always trust your instinct and listen to yourself about the next steps you want to take in your career. So those are the two things that stand out to me, I guess. Yeah, definitely trusting your gut. I feel like it's something, sometimes we try and shush that voice a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would also imagine that trusting the process is this year has been very different than what other people have experienced in years past. Like, has the process changed quite a bit because of COVID? Or do you think like at the end of it, you're like, oh no, I could still trust it regardless of the upside down world that we're in these days? It has been very challenging for not just my colleagues at times, but also, um, you know, the, some, some of these doctors I I know on a personal level. And, you know, sometimes I will reach out to, and these are people I've known for five or more years. I mean, we have done films together to, you know, capture ways just like basic patient safety and for training purposes. But one of the doctors I reached out to earlier this year, I asked her how she's doing and she was just like, I'm really not doing well. One of my patients is about to die. And I mean, of course, I do think that as long as we can see the silver lining and try to work to improve as much as we, you know, the conditions as much as we can, given with what we're using, you know, with the tools that we have, I guess that's that's what we have to do. I am concerned about going into the fall right now based on the numbers we're seeing going up again. And, you know, if these providers have the tools and the equipment they'll need to help protect patients and themselves in the hospitals. I know we're kind of in the midst of talking about, you know, great advice, but while we're here and you brought it up, Ian, the patients in the hospital, especially for moms that are delivering and not having either, you know, their partner, their care partner, a support system or family member or friend there, I've, we know very early on a lot of patients dealt with that. What are, you know, as we're sitting here talking in the fall mm-hmm. of, in the era of COVID here this year, what does that look like for a lot of people? What are those patients experiencing? Well, there, you know, typically what happens and every hospital is different and, you know, there are different hospital sizes, which are classifications, but depending on the hospital that a woman goes to have her baby, I mean, typically there's like a checklist of, and, and a whole chronology of what is done when the family arrives. You know, if the family doesn't have masks, they're given masks upon check-in before they enter the hospital. And if the patient tests, you know, with like has a fever or test is already tested positive for COVID, there's a whole algorithm for what happens. And that has to be explained to the patient and to the family. Typically, there's only going to, I mean, this is like based on what I have heard but typically they they only allow one family member in the room with the patient and this is you know based on a dozen different scenarios i've heard from our providers working on training with them and typically then once that person goes into the room into the delivery room with the patient that that person does not leave so that is often what i've heard about and i don't know if that's the case like specifically where you guys are or in the state that you're located but once a team also is allocated, like these are the providers, 
typically they don't leave that room. They go into the room and they are there until the baby is born. And then sometimes, depending on what happens, they are quarantined for two weeks. So, you know, of course, everything depends on the algorithm that is very specific to that hospital. So I'm not generalizing, but I'm giving examples based on those dozen or so scenarios that I've heard about through the doctors I work with. What a wild change. I just can't even imagine how like the whole workflow and you know, day-to-day processes and procedures are just completely turned on their head. Yeah, they do change on a daily basis. And sometimes, you know, sometimes more often, depending. This is like in the early stages, and I'm sure that will happen again this fall. There will be changes again based on what experts find. Absolutely. Well, and if people want to know more about your research, what you're doing, and want to connect with you around your skills and training and educating others in this very important space, what's the best way for them to reach you or connect? They can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just, it's Ann Arnold, Ann with an E, A-R-N-O-L-D. And I am director of educational programs at ACOG and I'm in Washington, D.C. So I should be one of the one of the first, you know, top three or four people that if you type in my name and they can reach out to me through messaging there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge and expertise with us today. We really appreciate it and have enjoyed getting to know you better. You're welcome. Thank you both and have a good, have a good day as well. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybird.com.